Thanks be to God for the beauty and the power of his word, and thanks be to God for Darren Vianger, ladies and gentlemen, for doing such an amazing job reading. Man, you got a few names in there. You know, when you ask a reader to read and you just don't tell them what it's, you know, how long the passage is going to be, they just, yeah, yeah, I'll do that, and they're like, wait. Uh, man, I love the Bible, and if you haven't been in the, the Come and Listen series, you know, just being able to dive um, into the Bible and take a narrative like this. You know, you see an ancient text like that, you got all the weird names, but you can kind of get a sense of the story. You know, you've got a battle and a, and a war that's getting ready to, to, to be waged, and uh, you can feel the intensity of what's happening, the engagement with God uh, by the people of God. I mean, there's a lot going on in this passage, and I love it. I love this, this part of the Come and Listen series. If you haven't been with us in the Come and Listen series, we've been doing it since 2014. We just jumped back in it uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but over the history and life of our church, we've gone uh, from Genesis all the way up into Second Chronicles. Uh, we're not always in this series. We do a bunch of different series. But the idea is that we would come and see what God has done for you, what he's done for me, and what he's done for us. That we take the word of God and we'd look and see these individual stories of God's faithfulness. Um, but that we'd also would zoom out and we would see that the entire narrative arc of Scripture is pointing to one person, to one event, to one name. Uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the, the, the thing that we talk about here, what Dan was talking about. Um, and as we say in our elementary classes, which we have a few elementary in here for our family service, and we did in the first gathering, it's been fun having you guys in here. But the, the Jesus Storybook Bible says what? Every page whispers his name. Uh, and that's really the essence of uh, the Come and Listen series, is to lead us to the thing that matters most, which is Jesus. And it's interesting in this passage, is all about warfare, and, you know, when we think about warfare, we're thinking, well, this is, you know, for us, we feel like we're in a peacetime. But in reality, when you think about our culture, when you think about what's going on uh, in the lives of people, even in the church, outside the church, and in our country, there is a lot of warfare going on. There's a lot of mental and spiritual warfare. There's a lot of things, you know, even as we were praying before our, our gathering today, um, you know, there was a lot of people that were just saying, hey, in my small group, hey, in my life, hey, in this church, hey, this is going on. The amount of stress, the amount of anxiety, the amount of trouble, the amount of relationships that are on the rocks, the amount of um, cancer, the amount of you know, undiagnosed uh, things that are happening in people's lives health-wise, the amount of things that are where the, where the walls are coming in, the amount of war that's being waged spiritually um, in our time in, in our church and in this culture is off the charts. I mean, it is just one of those things that's happening in the world that we live in. We're the, we're the most privileged country um, on the planet. You might not think so. You might have some things to say about politics and gas prices. Good gracious me. I just filled up. the. I have a Suburban, so you can imagine $117. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, so, but we do. We live in an amazing country. We live in an amazing place and time in history and, and, you know, you might not think that, but you're all, you know, dry, you know probably drove here, probably going to drive home, probably going to eat tonight, probably going to watch something streaming on TV. I mean, we've got things that are pretty amazing in our life. But as a culture, we have more stress, anxiety, fear of the future, suicide than we've ever had in history. I mean, just some statistics for you if you don't think that there's a spiritual war and a battle for the mind of human beings going on. 75% of Americans experience moderate to high stress levels just in the past month. 75%, that's according to the APA. Stress is the number one health concern of high school students. I mean, that's just sad to me. 
And just because of my own memories, high school was awesome. You know, when you think about that, like, I mean, it's not everybody's, you know, middle school, high school. Well, middle school for me wasn't great. Um, but that's just, hey, my voice is cracking. Um, but, you know, you get, I mean, it shouldn't be that way. But for this generation, there is, a, there is a massive amount of pressure. We always say, well, you know, it was the same when I was a kid. It was the same when I was a kid. It's, it's different now. It really is. To, to, to experience what you guys are experiencing and have experienced um, in school and in the world around you, the pressure cooker is on when it comes to your grades, when it comes to sports, when it comes to what's on your hip in social media, having to see and be compared minute by minute, like by like, second by second, to what the rest of the world is doing is an undue pressure that was never meant to be laid on the, the shoulders of middle school and high school students. And they are feeling it. The rate of suicide in that age group is skyrocketing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in the last year I've heard somebody give me a testimony of somebody that's taken their own life, that's a young person. So the pressure, the, the pressure is just off the charts. 18 plus percent of Americans are in the clinical disorder range when it comes to stress, anxiety. 18% are in the, just like not just feeling stress, not just experiencing anxiety, but at a clinical level that needs to be treated medically, that needs to be treated with therapy. And the majority of that 18% is not getting any treatment, not getting any therapy, not going to any clinic, not getting any medication, not doing anything about it. That's 20% of our population just walking around with a disorder, a mental disorder because of stress and anxiety. The highest levels of stress and the highest levels of anxiety are with 18 to 25-year-olds, which is, that's the season of life when you don't even fear death because you're like, I'm going to live forever. But that's still where the highest stress is. And the next range is 25 to 45, which is the largest demographic in our church. But the reality is, is there, there's a spiritual battle that's going on. I mean, I believe that the, the pressure cooker that we're experiencing, the, the, the weight of the world that seems to be resting more firmly on the shoulders of the human race and people in the West right now, is a, it's a spiritual battle. Inside and outside, we, we, we're not, I mean, I'll just tell you, it's not church people going, well, find Jesus and everything's gonna be light. There's gonna be rainbows and lollipops and unicorns and it's just gonna be fine. I pastor the church. I know that's not the case. I mean, a lot of us in here would call ourselves Christians, and we, we have we've experienced the, just the amazing grace of a God that, that loves us, but we still feel the pressure. We still go through the, the, the things that happen on earth. Although the, the penalty of sin has been absolutely paid for in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the power of sin and the weight of sin and the destruction of sin is still evident on planet earth. And it's, it's wreaking havoc. And you know why? Because there's an enemy. And he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. He wants to steal from you. He wants to rip your life apart. He wants to put you in a hole in the ground. That's his job. And he doesn't come with, a, you know, with the crazy horns and the pitchfork. And he's not red. I mean, we think about it that way. He comes in a, in a, in a manner that is educated. He knows what's going on in your mind. He knows where our weaknesses are. He knows where the chink in the armor is. He knows where the stress and the anxiety is. And he is leveraging that in every moment to lead you further and further away from believing in God, away from believing that Jesus can save, can redeem any circumstance, can do anything, can 
remove stress and anxiety to the point that we don't even fear death because we know that we have eternity. We know we have a glorious future. The enemy wants to lead you as far away from that truth as possible. And he does. And he wants to make you rely on everything but God. Rely on, just like we talked about last week, Asa decided, hey, I'm going to rely on myself. We begin to rely on other things to fix all of the issues that we have going on in our life. We, we, we think, okay, God's great. I, I say with my mouth that I believe, like we said last week. But our actions begin to, to show us that we're scrambling. We're in the, the scramble mode of trying to figure out how do we dig out of this situation? How do we keep the war from raging around us? How do we win this battle in the mind over stress and anxiety? How do we win this battle with the circumstantial pressure that we feel on this side of heaven? What, what I love about this passage, we were in it a couple of years ago uh, and we just scratched the surface and I love that we get to take a deep dive, dive today because there's an actual strategy here in dealing with the spiritual war that's raging around us, dealing with the mental war that's happening for many of us in the room. And we don't talk about strategy that much in here. I mean, it's one thing that we, we, the only way we usually talk about it is we're not gonna give you a strategy to life. Like, here's the five ways to make your marriage better. Or here's the three ways you should raise your children. I mean, I'm definitely not gonna give any advice on raising kids. I mean, I love you kids. You're fantastic, just all on your own. But it's not because I did anything awesome. And we do that because we're not, the church isn't a place that repairs things. The church isn't the fix-it shop. The church isn't, the, the, I'm, not gonna, to be, I'm not here to, to fix you, and the, the band's not here to do it. The worship leaders aren't here to do it. The staff, the church isn't what fixes things. Jesus does. Jesus is the redeemer. Jesus is the repairer. He is the restorer. He is the one that defeated death and sin for all time. So what are we going to do instead of a strategy? We're going to lead you to the one that actually saves, the one that actually redeems, the one that can change the framework of your marriage, can change the way that you think spiritually, can change the way that you walk out of this building today. As we sang today, you know, when, when Jesus walks into the room, when the Spirit of God comes in, it changes everything. It changes everything. So we lead you in that way. But what's amazing about this passage is... There's a strategy that helps lead us home, that, le that leads us to the feet of Jesus, that leads us to believing something that can actually change physically. This is crazy now. You're going to think I'm a little crazy. Change the way that we think. Like not just a spiritual thing where like spiritual platitudes, yeah, I've got to say this first five times and I'm going to start believing as I go to work and this guy hates me and I don't even know what to do because I work in a cubicle and it's miserable. Like there's actual strategy here and in in God has given us a gift that can change your life, especially if you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, which I know there's people in this room that are doing that right now in life. So as we look at this story, just to, to paraphrase it, it's a, a long reading, but an amazing story. You've got Jehoshaphat. To catch you up, if you haven't been with us in the Come and Listen series, go listen to kind of the contextual preview and review and the surrounding things that are happening with the nation of Israel in the kingdom period. We kind of walked through the kings last week, the week before we walked all the way from Genesis into Kings. It was great, but just for the sake of uh, you know, getting into it today, Asaph, we talked about last week, Jehoshaphat was the next king. There was eight decent kings in Judah. In the northern kingdom, there was no good kings. There was 40 kings in all. Jehoshaphat was one of the 
good kings. I say medium. But Jehoshaphat actually was a pretty good king. I mean, when you look at his track record, he was faithful to God. God gave him a reprieve from all of the wars that God said would, would happen in Asaph's reign that we talked about last week. And he was just a good dude. He did what God asked him to do. He led the people to God. He, as he engaged in the countries around him, because you have to live in the world, and all of us do, he did it with grace. He did it with dignity. He didn't, he didn't I mean, he, he tried his best to get along with the countries that were around him without sacrificing being faithful to God. And that was a hard thing to do. I mean, he was an incredible leader, Jehoshaphat was. So in this particular story, Jehoshaphat's got his, the enemies are, are encroaching. He had a season of peace, and now he's got, you know, the, the Moabites, the Ammonites, you know, the, the people from Mount Syria, got all these people that are coming in, and sur- he's, they're literally surrounding him. And although he's had an amazing, you know, season where people feared God, the countries around him feared God, all of that was gone in this season. So everybody's coming in. The Moabites want to steal. They want to kill. They want to destroy. They want to come in and take what Israel has. They want to take their land. They want to take their stuff. They want to take their families. They want to take everything. And they've completely come in and surrounded Jerusalem, surrounded Judah. And Jehoshaphat knows, I have, I have no way of defeating this vast army, he says. No way of defeating this vast army. And he goes to God and has a conversation. He expresses his doubt, which is fine. One thing that you notice in this passage, if you go back in verses 1 through 14, the way that Jehoshaphat addresses God with reverence, like he, he doesn't flippantly talk about his doubt. Like I think sometimes that's one of the things that's like popular now. Like you can bring your doubts to God, which you can bring your doubts to God. If there's something that you doubt, if you're battling unbelief, you know, say you believe, but help my unbelief. But there is a reverent way a worshipful way in which Jehoshaphat approaches God. And he brings a doubt. He brings something to the table that's confusing him. He's saying, generations before, you told us not to mess with these people. You told us we would have peace. You told us, hey, even though these people are here, even though they're annoying, even though they're liars, even though they, they they live completely different sinful lives than we live, even though they are people that tend to try to go to war with us, we're to leave them alone. We're to leave them alone in Egypt. We're to leave them alone in Ammon. We're to leave them alone in Moab and let them do their thing. Don't engage them. Even though that's going on, look, if we would have taken them out back then, we wouldn't be in this problem. But now, to repay our our extension of peace, they've come to wage war. And he's like, seriously? Like, you've put me here. You told me not to engage these people. You told me, and I, I kept thinking about it in life, when you, if, if you've ever done, have you ever thought, I'm doing the right thing? Like there's some relational strife in, in the workplace or the world around, around me and I'm taking the high road. You know, Jehoshaphat's like, we took the high road. And, you know, when you take the high road, I think sometimes we expect God, we're like, okay, God, we, I took the high road, but this person is just spewing venom towards me, telling lies about me, stirring other people up around me. You know, and you're, you're like, Seriously. But Jehoshaphat's kind of raising that question. He's like, what, what's the deal? I know you're capable. You see how he's reverent? He says, I know you're capable. I know that you can save. I know that I should rely completely and totally on you. But I have this situation, and I'm wondering what, what, what you're going to do. If you're a God of justice, then I'm, I'm sure you're going to come through. But his posture stays reverent 
and worshipful. And as you move into verse 14, I love that. It says, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. So you've got Jehoshaphat con- con- like talking to God. He gathers, gathers all the people around. You've got from Judah in the surrounding area, you've got millions of people. And they're all kind of gathered in one place, kind of moving in towards Jerusalem. They're obviously surrounded by a vast army that um, wants to destroy him. So it says, the spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaniah, son of Jael, son of Madaniah, a Levite, a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And sometimes we ask, you know, why all that stuff about Jehaziel? Like, why, about, why do we have to know about all of his people? Like, do we ever skip that stuff? You know, you start reading and you say, ah, da, 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 when you're reading scripture. But sometimes when you go back and you look, there's like a jewel in studying and trying to figure out, okay, who is this guy and why does it matter? Because there's a reason. God didn't put it in there for no reason. Well, you know what's cool is this guy was a worship leader. He was a worship leader. Like, he's, inter- he's, he's like a centerpiece in this story. And you find out who he is. And who he is is important. And you'll kind of, you'll kind of feel why. Like, he's, he's the musician. I mean, skinny jeans and all. Like, he's coming with his Fender Stratocaster ready to kick over an amp. He's the guy. And he's speaking the word of God. Dan said after the second service, he goes, Jehaziel, what Jehaziel, what is that? He's like, he's, he was the Jay-Z of Israel, you know? He just threw it down. Let's throw down the beats, I know. See, I'm going to write that down. Don't do that joke next time. Um, but you've got this guy who was all about the music. God had ordained him to lead in worship, to lead in the temple, to lead in music. He was the musician, but yet he was the guy that was going to speak truth to the leader of the nation. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat, he speaks with authority, I love this. And all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is not yours, but God's. I love just even this phrase, do not be afraid or discouraged, because I think that there's, there's people that are here today that this is, this, is what, this is the word of the Lord for you. This is what God is saying to you in the middle of your war that's being waged. You feel the presence of the enemy coming against you. you th- there's so much that is spinning around your life that you don't understand, that you're, maybe you're frustrated with God, maybe you're battling under unbelief. And I'm telling you, God's coming into your life right now. You're not here by accident. You're not here because you made a good decision and you're like, you know what, I think I'll go to church today. You know, it just feels like, you know, I've been doing this, that, and the other, and missing church. I think I'll go to church. No, you're here because God is sovereign. You're not here because mom invited you, sister invited you, or your wife made you come. God wanted you here and he wanted to speak over you. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid or discouraged. This battle that you're in is not yours. You think that you can fix it. You're, you've been trying to fix it. You've been on the hamster wheel just spinning out, trying to figure out how to get out of the mess that you're in. And I just want to say there is a redeemer, there is a rescuer, and he is in the room for you. He has come for you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. The battle is not yours, but God's. And I love that he's saying, this is not your battle. We often want to figure it out, even though we know God is the one that can, that can wage war better than us. Even though we know God is sovereign on high, we are the ones that we're like, okay, I believe in God, but I got to deal with this person. I've got to shut this lie down. I've got to intervene here. I need to defend myself. 
You ever been in that position where you're like, okay, God's great, it's good, but I got, these, I got this situation that's just boiling over, over here with people. And this person's been, there's a rumor that's going on and these people are saying this and these people are saying this and these people are saying this and they're coming to you going, hey, they said that you did this, 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 and this. And, you know, I don't know if you did that, that, or that, but, you know, they seem to be trustworthy and they're absolutely not trustworthy. But, but, but you, you feel like, okay, I've got to defend myself because this is my reputation, this is what's going on in life, this is what's happening. And you feel like I've got to, I got to jump in there. I got to put the gloves on, right? I got to get in this. But there's times when God says, you don't need it. This battle is not yours. It's okay to, to be silent. You don't have to be defensive. And that, that's a problem I deal with, getting defensive. Like I'll hear something and somebody says something. And I'm just like, let me, let me I'll over-explain something because I'm defensive. Anybody like that? Like defensive? Maybe even in your, in your marriage. Like you, you, you've got, you feel like you always got to defend everything that you've done and every action that you have. Somebody says, hey, you might want to think about doing this. You just always got to react. You go, well, the reason I did this is because we did this. And this. It's the logical thing to do because this is the way that people should actually do this. I don't know why you would even think about doing it any other way because this is the way. But honey, um, you know, maybe the kids are doing it. It doesn't really matter, but that's not even logical. I know the kids need to be loved and cared for and all that, but we've got to do this, 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 and we get defensive. We don't need to be defensive. We don't have to. God's given us a position as his people and him as our God that we don't have to defend ourselves. There's a time when you might need to speak truth. There's a, that Matthew 18 moment where we need to go to a brother or sister in the church or in our family and say, hey, we need to work this thing out. But sometimes there's people outside of the circle of trust, outside of our world that we just don't need to engage in that way. We don't need to do what they're doing. We don't need to talk sideways. We don't need to justify ourselves because like it says in Romans 12, 19, and in this passage. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. I love that, because, you know, when you've got somebody that's just spewing lies against you or waging war, and they're not the enemy. The enemy's using them, but they feel like the enemy. You've got God's wrath on your side. You know, I'm gonna open the door for God's wrath and just say, you know what, I'm gonna be quiet and see how God, God's gonna take care of it. God seems to have a good track record of humbling the proud. It says, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. We leave it to him in this battle. In verse 17, it says just that. It says, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. I love that, you know, Hazael says, hey, take up your positions, or Jehaziel, um, take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. There he says them again. Go out and face them tomorrow and the Lord will help you. He doesn't say, you know, tuck your tail between your legs and just kind of wander off and not worry about it and kind of stay in this kind of quiet position. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you. Face them. Don't hide, but face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. And, and then I, I love this. Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground. This is a leader of an entire country. I mean, imagine this being the way that leadership worked in the modern era when it came to, comes to presidents and kings and people that lead countries, that their posture was one of absolute humility, uh, that it was bowing down before God. And Jehoshaphat, in front of the entire nation, goes face down before the Lord. And what happens as a result of that? Everybody else does. It says, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down in worship before the Lord. 
they all fell down. This was the leader's first response to the battle, the first response to the war, the first response to, I don't have an answer to this problem, was to worship. And then it says, some Levites and Kohathites and Korahites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. So these guys were the worship leaders too. They were the, they were the rest of the band. And they just decided in the moment, well, what should we do? And musicians do what musicians do. They just start playing music. And they just started playing music. I mean, you talk about an unconventional weapon of warfare. They're like, what do we do in this moment? We're all about to die. You got guys with shields and swords, and there's way more of them than there are. And they, and they want everything that we have. Let's just sing some songs, man. I love it. Like, they're, they're, they're strike up the band. They started singing loudly. They started raising their voice. And apparently, something started happening in that moment. You know, you read this passage. Something starts rising up among the people. They're like, you know, this doesn't make sense. It's kind of an unconventional thing to be doing right now, but we're going to sing songs. These guys are singing. But all of a sudden, worship's changing what's happening in that space. All of a sudden, the veil between heaven and earth is, is kind of growing thin, and they're feeling the presence of God. They're feeling the Spirit of God. They're feeling like before we were dismayed, we were discouraged, we did have fear, we felt the stress and in, in, in the, in the heart-pounding fear of an enemy coming in on all sides, and all of a sudden, we feel a little bit like we might have this. It might all be okay, and something's rising in the moment of worship with these guys singing with a loud voice. And the people are like, seems kind of strange, but this is working. And so Jehoshaphat's what? He's talking to people and consulting the people. And they must have been saying, hey, there's something to this singing. You got these two worship leaders that are just getting it. They got, you know, beanies and jean jackets, but man, they can do something, man. They're doing awesome. So after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and praise him for the splendor of his holiness. Let's give God his worth. Yeah, we know we got all this stuff going on around us, but let's, let's sing to God and talk about what, what he's done. Let's give thanks to God. Let's talk about the splendor of his holiness. And as they went out at the head of the army, they said this, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. So Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing, not just to sing like the, 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 the Korahites and the Korhites are doing, but he's like, not only that, not just sing right here, y'all get in front, in front of the warriors, in front of the, you know, you've got your guys that are like William Wallace, you know, they're on the horse and ready to just wade battle with the paint. And then you've got, you got the, the guy with the pan flute and they're like, let's put him out front. I mean, that sounds like it makes sense. No, it's unconventional. Let's get the guy with the drum, you know, let's put him out front. And that guy is probably like, Really? You know what I mean? Like, we, I don't have a, you know, can, you, can I use that javelin to strum my guitar? Um, just in case, I gotta do that. I mean, you, you're sending the musicians out front. It's unconventional warfare. And sends them out singing, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. But look what happens as a result of this. It says, they began to sing and praise the Lord. The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. And as Darren read, you knew why. They, just, they turned against each other. They started fighting amongst themselves, and 
the Israelites didn't have to raise a hand. The, uh, the, you know, the, the nation of Judah and the surrounding area of Jerusalem, they didn't have to go to war. All they were doing was singing. They were marching and singing. You know, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Over and over and over again. And this physical battle and spiritual battle gets waged by God and not them. So I just wanna say, say three things because I, I really do believe that God could change the way that you think, change the, the, the framework of how your heart thinks as it, when it comes to the war that's being waged. Because sometimes we think about church, we think about spiritual things like, I'm gonna go to church because it's the right thing to do. I'm gonna engage in the things of God because my parents tell me I gotta come, right? I gotta, I gotta be here. And I'm gonna go back to the rest of my life and then I'm gonna employ my strategies on how to deal with my stress, how to deal with my job, how to deal with my spouse, how to deal with my divorce, how to deal with my financial problems. I'm, I've gotta deal with all of those things. And, and then I'm gonna have a relationship with God because I grew up knowing that that's probably a good thing to have a relationship with God and you should go to church if there's a God in heaven. I wanna go to heaven. I'm gonna have a relationship with God. What about changing and reframing that thinking to say, I wanna rely on God for everything and really believing that God comes through. Not just saying that we believe, but actually believing. Like we talked about reliance last week. What does it look like to rely? How can we change that thinking? Because we all have it. I mean, don't we? That, that we, we say we believe. We say we're, you know, we're Christians, many of us in the room, but we use other strategies. It's not that you don't go to work and make money and do the things that you do. I mean, you gotta take medicine when you get sick. We talked about that last week. But when it comes to relying on God, what's gonna change the mindset? Because obviously, our strategies are not working. 75% of people in the United States of America have felt medium to maxed out stress in the last month. Not just in the last year, in the last month. So what can we do? What's in this passage that's an amazing thing? And it's an area that I love um, because I love music. And you know, before I was a pastor, I was a worship leader. So, and I think pastors should be worship leaders because we're all leading people up Mount Calvary to adore Jesus. If you're a worship leader and you don't do, don't do that, then you shouldn't be leading worship. It's not about you performing or doing anything. It's, it's opening the door, opening the floodgates. It's, it's walking people gently with song and with music up Mount Calvary to experience the one that actually can save and redeem. And I do the same thing now. I just do it with preaching. And you look at this passage and what an unconventional weapon of warfare that we see. We see music and singing. And I just want to talk about three things that God created music and singing for. Music and singing were created by God for our good and his glory. I mean, it sounds simple, but think about music and why it's here. The idea that we have music is pretty incredible. Like to me. I mean, it doesn't, like when you think about, if you, if you don't believe in God and you believe, believe in natural selection or we just happened by accident and we're just kind of all ended up here and it's, you know, it, music doesn't make sense. What survival benefit does music have? Why do people lean towards, you know, the, the, the framing of chords, the one, the four, and the six minor? Why do we, why do we love those, those string together chords and, and songs that the Beatles wrote? Because all of their songs really were in those, that framework and worship songs are too. Why is it that the heart leans towards them? What does music have to do with it? Well, music, music almost displays and says that there is a God in heaven. Not only that, that he's given us the gift of music. The, the way that music, it is for your, music is for your good. 
Again, it, it, we see that it ends up being a weapon of warfare, but just even in general, it is for your good. It changes things in your brain. One of the things that Scripture says over and over and over again, one of the words that you'll see about as, many, as, about as much as anything in Scripture is the word remember. And why is that? Because God wants you to remember His faithfulness. Why? Because you're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You are going to walk through the fiery furnace. You are going to walk through difficult circumstances, and he wants you to remember. One of the most powerful devices in memory, in, in the way that your brain works, engaging the wholeness of the brain, is music. I mean, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just show you, because we did it in the first gathering, and it was fantastic. So we're gonna, I'm going to play a couple songs and see how quickly you get these because the brain, you, I mean, we can't memorize anything. I mean, it just seems like, you know, you, when you're in school, you're like, eh, I just I can't figure it out. But when it comes to music, we know it. All right, let's, we'll start with some easy ones. One, two, three. See if you get it, how fast. <laughs> Sweet Home Alabama. I mean, you just heard, burnt, and that was it. The brain went, bang, Sweet Home Alabama. Well, you're from Jacksonville, so that one was way too easy. Yes, you're right. Skin, play some Skinnerd. All right, next. Tiny Dancer. You guys are good. This, this section over here, let's, we'll preach to you for the rest of the time. I'm kidding. You're all great. Oh, yeah, come on. Free Fallen. That's right. Who's the original artist? Oh, good Gator fan over there. I love you. All right, go to the next one. Oh, you're so wrong. It's not Ice Ice Baby. Under pressure. Who by who? And David Bowie. Come on, there you go. It's Queen and David Bowie. I love you. There we go. Hey, can we go? When they have trivia next week, we're going. It's gonna be me and you. All right, next. I just heard it instantaneously. Don't I believe a journey? Is that it? Okay, before we get to this last one, this last one's not, a, not one for name that tune. I was just, this is like when you think about how music engages you. These guys have written so many movie soundtracks. I kind of discovered them in 2008 and just kind of listened to their music. Anybody a hammock fan? Yeah, it just, there's something about this music that just, when you talk about changing, because music changes the brain. There's been so many studies about how much of the brain is engaged when you listen to music that you like. Like when there's pleasing music. They used to think it was specifically classical music. That's absolutely not true. Because if you like Sublime, actually more of your brain's going to get engaged when Sublime plays. Might, might have meant some other things about how you spent your early part of your life. But, um, but Hammock is one of, those, one of those bands. So let's just, I'm just going to, we can even turn the lights down. Give me a little low light. Lights, light, light helps. Come on. That's, that's good. I don't know what it was. It's just I feel like one of, this, one of those things that God showed me and just said, yeah, I made this. Yeah, give me some serious volume on this bad boy. Just turn it up. So I turn it up in my ears. There we go. You know, one time my wife and I were riding in the car and we were listening. Was, I think it was this. And I think it might have been this track of Hammock. And she said, I imagine going to heaven. And if there's an escalator, I don't, we don't know if there's an escalator, but you're like riding up. You're getting, to go, you're getting ready to go see Jesus and you're with people that you love, people that you didn't even know were gonna make it to heaven. You're like, man, that guy, I didn't even know how he got in here. But then you're, you're on the escalator and his 
loud as it can, you can possibly stand it. You're hearing everything that's heavenly, everything that you heard on earth that was heavenly, everything that you experienced that made the veil grow so thin that you knew that there was something bigger than yourself. You knew the existence of God. It wasn't something that you were thinking about or wondering, but it was an absolute. And all of a sudden you're in heaven and you're like, I knew it. And this is what's playing. And this is what's playing. You see, it evokes the emotions and God made it that way. You watch a movie and it changes the trajectory of the movie that you're engaging in. It triggers memories. It's one of the most powerful assets of, of music. You experienced it as you were doing Name That Tune. It triggers your memory. It immortalizes a worship song in your brain. The truths of God as we sing, it rises up in the room and we sing you know, graves into gardens. We sing beauty from ashes. And those words mean a lot when we read them, but when we hear them with music, it immortalizes it in the brain. It puts it there for later so that when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you remember God's faithfulness. You remember that he's always going to be with you. You remember that he'll never leave you or forsake you. Because I sang those words. They ring in my ears. God gave us music. It was created by him for his good and his glory. I, I love that he loved me that much to give me music, to be the thing that can help me. We watch babies dance before they even know what music is. They're just like, why is that? God created it. God made it, made it for us to engage in. Listen to this. If you want to keep the brain engaged throughout the aging process, listening or playing music is a great tool. It provides a total brain workout. Research has shown that listening to music can reduce anxiety, blood pressure, pain, as well as improve sleep quality, mood, mental alertness, and memory. It can reduce seizures, make you a better communicator, make you stronger, boost your immune system, assist in repairing brain damage, make you smarter, evoke memories. It even helps in Parkinson's patients. The list goes on and on. But music is one of those things that it makes us realize that we're not here or a mere accident. It leads our heart upward towards something bigger and something greater. And ultimately, you find out that it's Jesus because number two, music and singing were created by God for worship. We sing to respond to life. And when I say worship, I mean we were all created for worship. We worship, we're gonna worship something. It's just a matter, are you going to worship the real thing? Are you going to worship what truly matters most? We worship a lot of things. And songs have the, have the centerpiece of, of a song is the object of worship. Country songs, you know, what is it? There's a beer with my name on it, right? Darren Vanger, right? You know what I'm saying? There's, you got, you know, it's, it's my dog, it's my house, you know, it's whatever it is in country music. And then you go, that's right, it's going to be something. Love songs, it's going to be the object of worship. What do we do when we love a girl more than anything in the world? We make her a mixtape. I mean, that's what we do, right? See, somebody, hey, they are. It's an older crowd today, you know, the tape. Kids are like, they're over there going, tape. What is this thing we call tape? CD? Don't even know that, do you? Music and singing were created by God for worship. God deserves our worship. He does. And Jehoshaphat knew it. Jehoshaphat knew that God deserves it. There was kind of two things that were happening. One that he experienced, but one that he knew he needed to do, which is give God his due. Thank God for his faithfulness. And, and, and I, I know that his love endures forever, and I know that he loves me. 
His brain needed to know that. His heart and his soul, the spiritual side of him needed to know that, that God deserves the worship. But God doesn't, doesn't need it. Even the rocks would cry out if we didn't worship. He's got the sun, the moon, the stars. I mean, he's not thinking, you know, I, I, need, I need that Bethel song. I just need that one more time because it would just make me feel better about my day. God doesn't need that, but he knows that we need it. He knows that worship is good for us. Why is it good for us? Well, that's the third thing. Music and singing were created by God for warfare. Worship as warfare. Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord, to praise him in the middle of a battle, in the middle of a war. John Piper says this, he says, singing is not just a response to grace. We do respond to grace with singing. Overflow of the heart, we're singing and bursting because God saved us, because he rescued us, because he reconnected us with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. But singing is... It's not just a response to grace, but it's a means of grace. Singing is power. When you sing, the Holy Spirit comes and does something. He does something. The veil grows thin. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. You can say that again. The world doesn't fight with, with songs, but we do. Because on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds to rebuild your faith, to crush the thing that's in your mind that's sending you into depression, that's creating anxiety, that's making you feel like you have no way out, making you doubt God. These weapons have the ability to demolish that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We want to immortalize through worship the truth of God's word and his faithfulness, what he's done. I want a picture of the cross in my mind and this unconventional weapon will place it there so that I can what? Take captive of every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It's what music does. It's what worship does. It immortalizes the truth that we read on the screen, the things that we, we talk about a lot in here. But I need, worship carries it with us. I don't know who the, the person that said this the first time, but I love it. It's worship and worry cannot be in your mouth at the same time. So let's worship. We should be the people that worship because it protects us from unbelief, protects us from fear. I mean, look at Paul and Silas in Acts chapter, I think it's Acts chapter 15 or 16. The prison walls, what, what happens? They sing at midnight. They'd been beaten all day in shackles and they start singing hymns. And it says in that passage, I love it, it says, and the, and the prisoners were listening. They're like, what in the world is going on? What happens? The whole prison shook. Because there's power. The gates flung open. Because there's power in it. Everybody got saved. Because there's power in it. Worship says, I trust you. Worship says, if there's a solution, you hold it, Jesus. You and only you. Worship is reminding me of the past faithfulness and future promises of God. Worship reminds me that if death is defeated, then what fear do I face that's worse than that? Things change as we worship God in our mind, in our heart, in our whole being. We can sing to Him. We can take our love for music and God can redeem that in such a powerful and beautiful way that it becomes a weapon against stress, against anxiety. And the whole world can watch and see 
as your circumstances might not change, but your countenance, your heart, and the way that you operate out in the world, the way that you go to work, the way that you engage with your kids, the way that you operate in your marriage, it changes. When you, maybe men, as the leader of your home, when your default, when the pressure cooker comes, is to bow down and worship, to go face down. Imagine your kids. They might think you're weird at first. Imagine that, fathers, if that was our posture as leaders in the home. Mothers, if that was our posture as leaders in the home. Face down worship. It certainly is gonna change your mind, and you know what, it might change your kids' minds. It'll represent something to them that they might not understand in the moment, but you get to teach them, and they'll learn that you're not perfect, but you know who is perfect and who died and gave his life for you. And he's worthy of all of that worship. And it's not just good to do, it's good for you. Let's stand. God, we love you. We love that you are so good to us. All the fun that we have, the laughter that we experience, the music that we listen to, you've given it to us because you you love us and you want us to see you. You want us to glorify you because that's the best thing for us. God, I pray that you continually lead us towards your voice and the loud singing of your praises and away from the voice of the enemy that wants to destroy us, that wants to kill us, that wants to steal our lives. God, we, we submit our lives to you. Just come, Holy Spirit, and change things.